Welcome to the Archipelago of Design. The Archipelago of Design is a non-profit organization that believes in empowering leaders with innovation methodologies to give an advantage to their organization and also to bring about a better world. Today, uh, we are going to host the Tension podcast series, which is an in-house series sponsored by the Department of National Defense Mines Program and the Center for Military Studies based at the University of Copenhagen. So why tensions? Well, tensions are usually some things that we shy upon, that we don't usually tend to want to address head-on. But from a design and system thinking perspective, tensions are the most promising aspect that we like to, to dig in in order to open up new ways of understanding the situation and opening up new options that we did not think before in the end. So the only difference is that for this series, we will not be looking at external tensions. We can think about, for instance, the tensions between war and peace or between East and West or stuff like that. Instead, we will be looking at tensions inward within our own community of practice. And I would push this even more within our own learning system, comparing the, for instance, the two different ways of looking at the world. And today, this is exactly what we are doing by starting this series, by looking at two different ways of approaching a strategy. The first one is a deliberate way of approaching strategy that is more aligned with strategic planning. And the other way is emergent strategy that is seizing phenomena that are arising on the horizon to strategize on the go. And in between, you have strategic design. For the second episode, we will look at the tension between civilian design methodologies and military design methodologies, and so on and so forth. My name is Philippe Bouliebrossard, and I am a Marie Curie Fellow at the Center for Military Studies. I am also the co-executive director of the Archipelago of Design and also a professor at Canadian Forces College, so three ads. And today we are going to talk about strategic design, uh, its purpose, the assumptions behind it, and its potential in an ever uh, complex strategic reality. So everybody talks about strategy to better navigate through the pressing issues of our time. I think it's even more the case now with the COVID pandemic, where each actors and state needs to revise and reformulate the, their, their strategies for this, this context. But whether we can even hope to design a strategy in our time and how might we make this strategy uh, receive less attention. After all, if you have events like the COVID pandemic, Uh, that might disrupt all of our strategy, are we just making strategic illusions? Uh, that, is a, that is a question. So this podcast today seeks to fill uh, this gap uh, by inviting leading practitioner, instructor, and theorist of strategic design. Uh, so I have with me Dr. Ofra Greischer. Uh, she is the general course instructor in Israel Defense Forces since 2013. She also developed her own strategic design methodology, uh, and she uh, contributed to uh, make IDF generals and senior public security 
a professional more familiar with strategic design for a while. She is also a one and many. She built her uh, legacy not only on the thought of great strategists and operators uh, like Orde Wingate, but also on craft and, uh, such as filmmaking and surfing. And uh, between us, we also call her the mother of design dragons. Uh, she's a mentor to this uh, rising network of uh, military uh, designers. We also have with us Professor Robin Holt, uh, based at the Copenhagen Business School. Uh, Robin is a leading theorist on strategic emergence. Uh, his bestseller uh, was written with Professor Robert Kia, uh, called Strategy Without Design, The Silent Efficacy of Indirect Action. And his most recent book is called Judgment and Strategy. He is currently completing another book on the relationship between technology and strategy throughout history. So, welcome. Thank you. Uh, just to uh, uh, to get it started, because, uh, uh, well, everybody talks about strategy, but what are we talking about? And there are many ways we can uh, make strategy. So, uh, let's start with, uh, with you, Afra. What, what is strategic design exactly? Strategic design has started uh, with this uh, idea of... Uh, SOD, or Systemic Operational Design, in the late 90s by uh, Shimon Ave. Uh, it was driven by Israel or Israeli Defense Forces' lack of, uh, of vision and really insistence on tactical excellence to overcome our military challenges. So I would say today it's, we should either call it Systemic Operational Design, Strategic Operational Design, or Strategic Operational Disruption, depending on what is the emphasis or what is the audience that you talk to, what is their cultural background or what is their greatest uh, impediment to doing something new in, fence, uh, in the face of complex emergencies. Having said that, if I had to say what is strategic design to me or strategic operational design uh, is first and foremost disrupting myself before I can disrupt the world in the face of complex emergencies and uh, new potentials. Excellent. We'll, we'll go back to, uh, to disrupting ourselves and the topic of, of identity. But, but before that, because you touch on, on complex emergence, I'd like to uh, pass uh, to Robin. about can you, can you tell us a bit about, about emergence and how does strategy relate to, to emergence? I think if we're talking about design and why Robert and I wrote a book which was a slightly contentious title, advocating that we dispense with the design aspect. And in, in that sense, design has a, has a long history of you know, creating illusions uh, in, insofar as uh, ever since the Renaissance, for example, uh, with the Vitruvian kind of man, the idea of the human at the center of things, the idea of pushing nature away, of using design as an intervention um, into yeah, the world. Thank you, Robin. So, um, Ofra, so uh, what do you think about what Robin uh, just said? We know that strategic design already tries to pick up from, from complex emergence and try to do something with it, acknowledge it at least. So, so how would you contrast uh, strategic design and traditional strategic planning and ways, means, uh, and their approach towards uh, emergence? Uh, to me, strategic uh, planning is uh, an oxymoron. Uh, and why? Because planning has to do with the systems that we already have, who have been tried and true, and 
And planning actually has to do with the first phase of the COVID-19, if uh, we're saying in the now, where in the face of crisis, it wasn't a black swan, right? We all knew that the pandemic could have happened. And once it erupted, uh, we went back to what we, what we knew, to the best practices that we knew. And then we did the best with what we had. So you could start talking about something different than planning uh, once you realize that it's staying with you for a long time. There's not going to be any vaccine anytime soon. All the systems are crumbling, the societies, uh, politics, uh, financial system, order as we know it. Then you need to start thinking of something totally different. And if it's totally different and cannot uh, bear on any experience that you already have or other countries' experiences, then you cannot really plan. You have to design something new. And once you're in the motion of it, uh, you may be able to plan it to do better. But strategic planning is just something, it's two opposite cognitive processes of thinking. One is supposed to challenge everything that you know and how you operate. And the other is supposed to take all the knowledge that you know and make it as efficient as possible in its application. Thank you. Um, and Robin, I mean, if this reality is basically too much for us to, to use strategic planning or strategic design, uh, what do you recommend? Picking up from, from what Arthur was saying, I think there's a, there's a sense in which if we, and again, to play around with this word design, if we design our relation to, to one another, if we gently give way and abandon the idea of a, of a set plan and allow the world in a little, in a sense, between the signs, then you're requiring of yourself a much more immersive and initially at least a much more patient and attentive set of what you might call kind of secondary ontological kind of skills or qualities, you know, listening, being sensitive to variety, being willing to tolerate disturbance and the unknown and the uncertain and treating those occurrences, those emergent events as objects of curiosity as much as they are objects of inscrutable and somewhat, uh, should we say, disturbing impenetrability. So there's a sense in which we have to be far less centred, far less understanding of ourselves as, as, as at the center of things. And that takes a huge shift in thinking ourselves into the world differently, at least in the West. I think elsewhere, other philosophical traditions, the disposition to do such is, is, is more of a natural one. So um, on this, I'm trying to go back to, uh, to self-disruption. What, what would we need to, to disrupt within ourselves or within our, our organization to aspire to this ideal of strategy making? Uh, I was preparing for this podcast and reading the news. I mean, in, you don't need any other intelligence other than just reading news, fake news, social media, whatever source. And I found at least, I mean, a couple of ideas. We can decide if we want to pick up on, on any of them. But what has been disrupted since last March or last February in a way of thinking? And to that extent, I would say that I'm feeling that for the past decade, I wasn't talking SOD, I was talking SOD cliches. Self-disruption, letting go, degrees of freedom. Why am I saying it? Why is the COVID-19 um, such a, a big opportunity in explaining what SOD is about 
Let's see. Okay. First one is a sense of crisis. I mean, that's what we started from. Strategy is not about managing crisis. Strategy is, is what you do after you have managed the crisis to a certain point where you can start doing other things. Control. People associate strategy and policy with control. Top-down control. Harmony. And what we see with the COVID-19, we see the exact opposite to the border of anarchy. So what we see with the COVID-19, we see even in Israel, which is a very small country, we see cities uh, negating what the central government is trying to do. Why? Because every inhabitants, every community has its own characteristics. And what is true for Tel Aviv, for example, is not true for Jerusalem. What is true for secular citizens is not true for ultra-Orthodox in the United States. What is true for Texas is not true for New York. In Europe, what is true for Italy is not true for Britain and Denmark, where we are situated right now. So that's just one example. Control. Intervention. Okay? Intervention. I mean, government institutions, people had this misperception about what the government can provide. So what do we do with that? We need more Renaissance men and women. And we need to accept the fact that uh, we should be more skeptic about what we hear and how we interpret the information that we have in COVID, which is constantly changing. So to me, it's just the COVID-19 is just an opportunity to self-disrupt, again, how I'm thinking personally, how society is thinking, how the world is operating, and we, we will have to invent something new. On this, uh, uh, Robin, uh, you also in, in your work uh, focus a bit on the relationship between strategy and identity. Uh, so can you expand a bit on, uh, on this? Sure. Picking up again from, from what Off has been saying, I, I think it's, it's, it's incredibly important to keep hold of strategic awareness, to, to think of strategy as a practice that's uh, demanding and pivotal for, for, for the species. Uh, and thereby, you know, more broadly, for for the health of the ecosystem, the broader ecosystem in which we all you know, persist. So to think of how we how we associate ourselves with the world, no longer as a you know, central, distinct, and separate figure, but as something immersed in, part of, and belonging to a broader set of ecosystems. We are to think of ourselves, our identity, if you will, very much as a, a rising to what uh, Hannah Arendt called conscience. And, and, and in this, you're constantly alive to the possibility of things being otherwise. If I can pick up on it... Mm-hmm. Um, The COVID-19 found uh, the last iteration of our course exactly in the middle. So people were starting, the participants, the, the generals, were starting to feel comfortable with the strategic operational design. And we had these great plans of uh, testing this new meta approach to strategy and operations on what we commonly perceive as our, uh, the threats of the IDF. Hezbollah in the north, uh, the Iranians, uh, the Palestinians, uh, Gaza, and so on and so forth. And then this pandemic comes and uh, we all find ourselves unemployed. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, militaries around the world right now are really, their alma mater is under question. 
the enemy is not what we perceive as enemies. The threat is not what we perceive. The threat, the challenge is totally different. And you find all your soldiers, these, these elite fighting machines, um, helping the elderly, you know, keeping the peace, you know, doing shutdowns, uh, mixed with civilians, uh, big, big ethical problems when you use soldiers for that, creates a lot of tensions in Israeli society, why soldiers are being used uh, to stop demonstrations, okay, to stop people from, uh, from working or going places. So definitely, uh, if you want to talk about a new strategic um, Uh, challenge or the need for strategy, it begins, the beginning, before even the, the self-disruption is to question your ident- mm-hmm. professional identity and personal identity. I totally agree. And uh, if we um, look at your recent cohort of, of students, did they uh, um, make the connection, you know, with, with this change of context and this notion of having to change themselves? Not all of them. The IDF is a, is a hybrid creature, right? Because we are a conscript military. We've always been a conscript military. Parts of it is militia style, reservists, the young 18-year-olds. And you see that it is having problems within the military ranks, within its soldiers to uphold orders um, and how to prevent um, the COVID from spreading. So you see that. And on the other hand, you see generals who have taken their... Units, um, even initiatives uh, that the chief of general Saftina wanted at the beginning, and and looked for looked for trouble, as we say. You know, generals are always looking for trouble, so they were looking for trouble. So it, they were thinking how they can uh, take intelligence, and instead of looking for uh, missile rockets and what the Iranian intentions are, they need to look at how to uh, develop knowledge about information about how the COVID is spreading. You saw another general taking his elite uh, division, uh, taking one of the ultra-Orthodox cities who is having a huge outburst and just taking control of the town together with the people um, doing that. And now you see uh, the Ministry of Defense and the military taking more and more, assuming more and more responsibility. Uh, this is what expected of them, but I think they realized after a year that there's no point in continuing to train for a war in the distant future when the real challenge is at hand. So you see both of it. It's a good question whether they would able to take what they, the lessons learned from the COVID-19 back to regular or usual military operations whenever they occur. And you, uh, Robin, you are teaching the um, basically the future uh, leaders of, of Denmark, especially in, uh, in management at uh, the Copenhagen Business School. Do you hope that education is still a, is still a way Uh, for them to get to this uh, level of, uh, of wisdom uh, or, or introspection that is needed to become a good strategist in the 21st century? Absolutely. I find it, um, it's a space in which for three years, five years, depending on whether they fall into uh, the master level as well as the undergraduate level, where you can afford people the space to think and to think of themselves in relation to themselves without necessarily incurring the the pressures of everyday instrumental life. So it's a, it's a preparatory space in many ways. But it takes some effort to, to consciously think that through. I think what you are describing, um, we have been talking about, we have been trying to explain it to our generals that they will find themselves if they're true to their 
character, professional, uh, what is expected of them, they'll, they will find themselves um, schizophrenic in the sense that on one hand, they are responsible for the system's coherence. And on the other hand, they're supposed to challenge the system all the time. It depends if they're looking inwards or looking outwards. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing this past year, again, under the COVID uh, cloud, it's very easy to destroy institutions and it's very difficult to build new institutions. So when I see, for example, what police everywhere in the world is, is facing now in Israel, it's, it's a very big problem. How the police is uh, performing and what the public thinks of the police in the U.S., of course, after uh, what happened uh, with uh, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> I want to take the, um, the conversation back to um, uh, more the, um, the hope and the ambition of, of, of strategy. We've talked a lot, uh, Ofra, about long durée. So about uh, how can, can a strategy uh, design or a strategy uh, uh, be sustainable over time? And now we have, of course, we are in this COVID context where uh, most of, of our strategy uh, got disrupted. So is, is there still hope for, for long durée, for, for, for making a strategy that can uh, uh, last through uh, time? Shall we explain the long durée or shall we uh, assume that? Uh... No, let's, let's explain. <laughs> um, long durée has, uh, I guess it's a, it's a concept um, that initiated in the 60s in France. Um, you can read about it uh, in great length uh, in Fernand Brodel's uh, monumental book, History of Civilizations. And in a nutshell, what it says is that um, civilizations or societies are, uh, are a part of a greater whole in time that, uh, that oversees the changes. When I think of of the long durée in in sense of how it applies to strategy, um, I combine it with something that's also written uh, in War and Peace uh, by uh, Leo Tolstoy, which says that the general, or we as a country, are always in the middle of a series of events. We never start from zero. This is something that we have to remember when we talk about strategy, a new strategy, a unique a unique occurrence that merits a unique strategy that merits a one-time solution in the form of operation. There will always be something before that. And because it's limited, because there is a limit to the chunk in reality that we can comprehend and act upon, we will never see something through. We will never have an end to, to the occurrence. We can only inflict some kind of change on it. We can only affect it to a certain degree. There will be something Uh, after us. So to me, the long durée is, is, some, is a reminder. Okay? It's, it's more of a reminder, uh, again, going back to ethics and moral of strategy, is to, one, don't sacrifice the future uh, or the well-being of the next generation for shortened gains of this generation. It's true for uh, climate change, for example. You know, if, if I don't am better reality, at least don't make it worse because there is going to be something after me, not just before me. That's one. The second thing is um, when I'm looking, when I'm trying to understand what, what is happening around me, I need to understand there is a different concept of time. It depends on what I'm dealing with. For example, uh, Hezbollah in his manifest says, we are going to reach Jerusalem in 200 years. 
No, I'm looking at uh, Hezbollah right now. I mean, 200 years, it's not even to be, not going to be even my grandkids in 200 years. So what do, how do I encounter um, a rival thinking in hundreds of years and not just in one decade? I would say the strategy is the long durée and operation is what I can achieve right now. In my strategy, I'm expanding my horizons. I, I see more because it's an abstract notion. Strategy is pure logic. Okay? The operation is, is the form of this logic. In strategy, I can talk and think about things that I may not be able to achieve in my operation. But it remains there. There is a direction, a general direction that I want to go to. But I need to remember that my operation is going to be limited. Again, another huge tension for generals when they run things. So the same now with the pandemic, there is a sense that every action that is being taken by the government, at least some governments, is infinite. They're trying to solve everything at once. What they usually do is <laughs> they're nothing you know, with the long durée. And I think that's part of, of, of the failures that we see right now. And uh, Robin, on, um, on, on long durée, what, what do you think? Is it, are, are there things that... Uh, um, we do right now that that will uh, last or you, do you still believe that the, the environment is way too powerful for any kind of uh, ambition like that? I think um, I, I would be skeptical to think of myself in any relation to the future other than it being inherently kind of and necessarily kind of there in a very immediate sense. And so... If I was to understand Jure in, 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 a, in a more processual way, it would be as this kind of intensity of, of, of the moment in which one was called on to decide, to act, to think oneself or to project oneself into a, a future state, but without the scaffolding of hope or prediction or even optimism so um so it means that you you would not uh, um, advocate for uh, learning uh, strategic foresight or, or all of these methodologies i think the the idea of foresight is is interesting insofar as it demands uh, the exercise of, of of imaginative power which can only be productive and generative in the present The problem arises when you commit to that scenario, to that future, as the future, toward which one has to you know, kind of cybernetically organize oneself, as though a failure to do so would somehow be a diminishment, would somehow be an acceptance of um, weakness. So I think there's a, a more complicated relationship to the idea of a, of a forecast than either saying it's good or bad. Yeah. It can instill a relationship of dependency, a debilitating one, but it can also instill a relationship of, of an animated and a very productive relationship. And Afra, what, what, what do you think? Because I, I, I think that you are not teaching a foresight to your general. So what, what, what do you think about, uh, about using it? About the, what do you do with the future? Yes, uh, we believe there can only be one. <laughs> <laughs> We think we should, uh, you should visualize. Visualization is a, a powerful part of our doing strategy. By visualization, I mean not imagining something that uh, hasn't happened yet, but trying to bring a new, again, a new form out of a new logic, but they are 
codependent on each other to figure out which direction they want to go after they realize where they want to go. So what, what would be more efficient in solving something? But it doesn't take you anywhere near trying to understand where you want to go. So since strategy for us is about asking the right questions and not finding the right solutions, I think it's the wrong tool to, to apply when you're trying to figure out where you want to go. Now, what we think should be done again is, you know, apply system thinking, because for us, complexity needs the language of systems or even system of systems. That's, that's what needed. And many times when I see people, again, applying foresight, is in each, in each scenario that is being built, one of the aspects of the emergence is being lifted and being treated. And the biggest problem that we're facing as generals is trying to synthesize tensions together. At the end, we're trying to mediate tensions. We're trying to mediate the disharmony. This is why, again, we, we are influenced also by the ancient Chinese, okay? the, the, the idea of Tao. So this is why I personally uh, don't use it. Uh, we don't use it in a general's course. We develop this one story. This, again, you know, I'm saying strategy is a good story, good argument, should be a good argument and a good story. But it's all about finding the right motivation and pursuing this logic. Pursuing this logic, again, doing all kinds of things during it. But at the end, you come up with this one explanation that you believe in it and that that's what you're going to sell. And that's what you're going to explain to yourself, to your bosses, to your public and to your enemies. If you have an alternative, you know, alternative options, you're confusing yourself. You're confusing yourself, you're confusing your subordinates, and you're confusing your enemies. If there's more than one end to what you're trying to do. So personally, I'm against, <laughs> I'm, again, I think strategic foresight or this tool of the scenarios is not applicable in my mind. So uh, talking about, about time, uh, technology uh, remains a key uh, driver uh, of how uh, human beings evolve and, and how we need to uh, think uh, strategically. Uh, and I think, Robin, your up upcoming book will touch on, on the topic. So uh, can you tell us a bit about it? Sure. So we are thinking of our relation to the condition in which we find ourselves as being increasingly mediated through technology to the point where it becomes very difficult to distinguish ourselves and the condition in which we find ourselves. So thoroughly implicated are we, so thoroughly integrated are we in the wider condition through technological mediation. And social media would be just one example. For example, the kind of thing we're doing right now. And in this, we've packaged uh, human history <laughs> rather arrogantly into three epochs, The first being techne, the second technology, and the third technogenesis. And so these, these we call strategic epochs, epochs of strategic practice or thinking. Techne is a, a rather archaic and slightly romanticized view of how as human beings we related to our wider condition in a fairly predictable, seasonally sensitive, regular, slightly humble set of concerns and activities. As technology develops, the tools that we use become more forceful and we find ourselves distancing ourselves from the environment in interesting ways. 
distancing ourselves through the capacity to control the environment, the tools become more productive. They become more predictable. They become more immense. They become more gigantic. And we feel ourselves growing in potency, growing in power, growing in, in, in our capacity to control. And we convince ourselves that this is progress. It's as though the technology is finally overtaken and no longer needs us. And we can no longer believe ourselves to be in control. The underbelly, the, the, the condition that we, in a sense, ignored has become much more apparent now. And this is a profoundly altering how we must think of ourselves strategically. Excellent. Um, and, and Ofra, what, what do you think about, about all this? Um, does this technology matter when you do strategic design? How do you approach technology? Good question. First, uh, we are trying to, uh, again, in the Israeli general's course, uh, we are trying to keep it as primitive in the tools as possible. I mean, pens and pens and paper. And yet, this is not the reality of the generals. So what I like about technology is that it keeps the generals, or again, the policymakers, the strategy makers on their toes because the pace is accelerated. Uh, the volume of information that you need to process is augmented, even if you have AI aiding you with that. Okay, So in one sense, it keeps you on your toes. On the other hand, since I don't believe in the point of uh, singularity, it's, it's a good uh, place to remind ourselves uh, why chess is not a strategic game. And I think that you can see it where Gary Kasparov at the end was overrun by the machine because chess is a finite, uh, at the end, it's a finite, you know, combination. There is a finite combination. But humans and society will always be so unpredictable. There will always be a place for creative thinking, this primitive <laughs> thinking that can only happen in the mind, this, this amazing machine of the mind of humans. The greatest challenge of strategy is to find out how to deal with systems of people. And this, is, this will always be unpredictable, even for the best machines. So technology on the one hand is keeping us on our toes, but I do believe that it will never replace us. And that's why we will need to continue doing this, you know, processes. Well, Robin, Afra, thank you so much for your time and for all of this, uh, this wisdom. I think we could have renamed this podcast Strategy and Control. Basically, uh, um, is it really useful uh, or perhaps it's only futile to do strategy uh, in the face of such a, such a complex environment? And the COVID-19 well, emergent phenomenon kind of turned this into a reminder for all of the strategy makers around the world. So, so thank you so much. And uh, if you want to have access to Ofra Grasher's uh, work, you can tune into our website. You just have to click on her name and you will have everything that she uh, has shared uh, so far. And for uh, Robin, well, of course, you can uh, uh, tune into his website on the uh, Copenhagen Business School. And when does your, your book is uh, will, will come out? Uh, Next year. Next year. Okay, so 2021. Uh, stay tuned for his new book on technology and strategy. This closes our first episode of the Tensions podcast series, looking at the tension between deliberate strategy and emergent strategy making. So I hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to host you again for the second episode on human-centric design intention with military design. Thanks so much.